All right, so today we are going to begin a new study. We finished up 1 Corinthians, and um, I, had, uh, I had a few ideas in my mind, uh, and I decided to go, this is something that I've wanted to do for, for quite a while. I had it in my little, I keep a little list of things that I want to preach on or, or teach on, and this was one of the things in my list. And that is, we are going to go through the parables of, of Jesus. And we'll get to one of them today. Um, but first I want to explain why uh, I'm excited about this study. Um, this isn't, I, don't, I don't do studies just to do studies. I, 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 there's a reason that this kind of lights my fire, uh, so to speak. Uh, it, it, so I want to explain that first. You know, in some ways when you think about it, there really never has been a better time to be a Christian. And one of the reasons for that is technology. When you think about all the technology that we have today, uh, you have, as a Christian, you have more resources available to you today to study the Bible and to know the Bible than probably any generation that's ever existed. I mean, you think about that for one second. And by the way, to whom much is given, much is going to be required of you. We have been given more technology, more availability than probably any generation in history. I mean, you think of it with a click of a button, you have access to the greatest communicators of this generation. Not only that, you can actually listen. If there's a man 100,000 miles away or 50,000, nobody, it's, it, it's, it's a click of a button. You can actually go out and listen to people who've been dead for 30 years. Listen to them on the Internet. Find their teachings. Great communicators. We have access to those people like, like no other generation before us. But as great as all that is, the fact was and is and will remain, there has never been a better communicator than Jesus Christ. <clears throat> there will never be another like Him. You know, you go back and read the Bible in His three-year ministry. He spoke to all kinds of people. He spoke people one-on-one. He spoke to small groups. He spoke to big, big crowds. And His teaching was so captivating that they literally at times would forget to go eat, wouldn't they? I mean, he was so captivating in what he was saying is they would, they would sit there all day and all, realize, man, nobody's ate. We, we, we didn't even eat lunch. Nobody got hungry. You know, we sit here sometime and, you know, we're looking at our watch and thinking, I got to get to Lindy's or I got to get to El Jalisco's. These people didn't even think about that because the man was such a great communicator, such a great uh, storyteller. Just He was so captivating, and everybody wanted to have access to him. It didn't matter if it was the, the, the poorest peasant or, or King Herod. Everybody wanted to see Jesus. Everybody wanted to talk to Jesus. Everybody wanted to, to hear Jesus because he was such a great communicator. In fact, if you go back and look, the Bible records the, the people's response to him like this. In Matthew 7, 28 through 29, it says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, by the way, he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. I mean, just, you just think for one second, when was the last time you've been astonished at a speaker? I don't, I don't, it doesn't happen to many of us. I know you're not astonished when I speak to you, Right? Um, but they literally were astonished at his teaching and it, and it, because he spoke as one who knew what he was talking about. He had authority. He wasn't guessing. He wasn't saying, well, it might be like this. No, he said it is like this. And the, and the people were just captivated by his, by his teaching. Yet as you read through the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you, you can't help but notice something 
that one of his main forms of teaching, main forms of speaking to people in the crowds was through the use of parables. Now, a parable, if you just go look at the definition, it'll tell us it's a story that illustrates a spiritual or a moral lesson. Some, some people say this, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? Um, parables are stories that, that are easy to remember. I could probably go around the room and say, list me five parables. And I, there'd probably be everybody in this room could probably come up with, with five parables just off the top of their heads. And many of Jesus' parables refer to very simple things. You know, a woman breaking bread, a, a, a woman looking for a coin while she's sweeping out her house, a, a man knocking on his friend's door in the middle of the night, a, a roadside mugging. Just, just very simple things that everybody can, can relate to. Yet these stories deal with very profound truths. They, they deal with major spiritual themes, things like the growth of the kingdom of God, the power of prayer, the purpose of love. They've got some very intense and profound meanings. Yet even as we read them, we, we can't help asking this one question, okay? And that is this, why did Jesus choose to speak in parables when he could have just come out and just said directly what he meant, right? I mean, why did he do that? Why did he decide to use these parables, this, 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 this vehicle of a story to illustrate a spiritual theme, as opposed to just coming out and saying what he meant? He could have very easily, easily done that. The thing is, when you read, his disciples had the exact same question that we do. You know, I often wonder, why, Jesus, why did you do that? Why did you use parables? Well, his disciples wondered the exact same thing. And so one day, they just came right out and asked him. They, they, I guess they had been talking about it amongst themselves. And so in, uh, in Matthew 13, 10, the disciples came and said to him one day, why do you speak to them? And he's talking about the crowds that come to see you. Why do you talk to them in parables? In other words, they want to know why. Why don't you just, why do you have to be so mysterious? Why do you have to use parables? Why don't you just come out and tell them what you mean? Just be very plain with them. And his answer it to me is absolutely fascinating. It is, a, it is something that, that's, that you go back, look at commentaries today and they still struggle with this answer. It, it, is, it, just, it is captivated people. This is his answer, Matthew 13, 11, 11 through 17. And Jesus answered them, to you, he's talking to the disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they don't see. And hearing, they don't hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah, and he's he's referencing Isaiah 6.10, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but you'll never understand. And you will indeed see, but you will never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears, and what he's talking about, with their physical ears they hear, but with their spiritual ears they don't. With their physical eyes they see, but with their spiritual eyes they don't see. And he goes on and says, with their ears they can barely hear, their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their hearts and hear with their ears and understand. I'm sorry, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, 
and I would heal them. But now watch what Jesus said. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, Jesus says to them, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to them it hasn't been given. You see, if you went out in the world today and you just asked nine or ten, you know, ten people or a hundred people, why did Jesus teach in parables? I would bet that more than 90% of them say, well, he taught in parables so that people could better understand the truths of the kingdom of God. But the problem with that answer is it's only half true. It's only half right. You see, in his answer, Jesus is very clear. He minces no words that parables actually have two purposes. Number one is to communicate truth to some, but the other reason is to hide truth from others. In other words, he speaks in parables to hide the secrets of the kingdom of God from some people, but to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God to other people. I mean, that's it. That he, he, he mints no words about that. To you it has been given, to them it has not been given. You see, what people tend to forget about the parables is that Jesus also spoke in parables not just so that people could understand, but also so that people would not understand. In other words, I, I, I'm effectively hiding the truth of the kingdom of God from some people. Now that answer, I don't know about you, but it literally boggles my mind. It, it's very difficult for us to understand this idea that Jesus would not want some people to understand what he was saying, but that's exactly what he said when he answered his disciples' question. Now, let me explain something here very quickly. What he's saying here does not mean that these parables are full of mysterious information that only a select few can grasp intellectually. Th these aren't mysterious stories, are they? They're, they're not full of this hidden truth and you've got to have some kind of very smart mind to figure it out. That's not, that's not what he's saying at all. In fact... When you go read the, the Bible, the, the people who heard the parables, they had no trouble understanding the parables. In fact, Matthew 21, 45, listen to this. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his what? Parables, they perceived, they understood that he was speaking about them. They had no trouble understanding intellectually what he was saying. The parables are simple. See, Jesus told us what the problem was in Matthew 13, 15. For this people's heart has grown dull. See, it's not their mind they have problems with. It's, it's their heart. They don't understand with their heart. I mean, that is crucial right there when it comes to parables. See, it not, has nothing to do with physical eyes or physical ears or your physical mind. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with your spirit. See, some people hear a parable and they think, Man, that is, that's, the, that's the greatest thing ever. And other people hear it and they think, i got no idea what that's about. Because it, it's, a, it's a heart thing. Everybody with me? I mean, this, this is crucial for us. You see, in the end, understanding parables is a matter of the heart, not a matter of the mind. Those who take up their cross gain more access to kingdom truth. And those who reject Jesus lose what, even what little access they had. That's what Jesus keeps saying here. Matthew Henry puts it this way, Parables make the things of God more plain and easy to those willing to be taught. At the same time, they make the things of God more difficult and obscure 
to those who remain willfully ignorant. See, we can come with parables, and it's a very simple story, and it, and it, and it holds a profound truth, and two people can hear it. And one person who's a Christian, who has the Spirit of God, who is willing, whose heart is turned toward God, that person can grow. The other person hears that same parable, and, and it says the things of God become even more obscure to them because their heart's not right before Him. Now, here's why I'm excited about this study. See, parables have two purposes. One is to reveal, one is to hide. But see, if I'm a Christian, I don't have to worry about the hiding part. You see, if I'm a Christian, the parables are a gift to me. Isn't that what Jesus said? To you it has been given. To you it has been given. You see, for, my, for me as a Christian, the purpose of the parable is not to hide truth. It is to open my heart to the truths of the kingdom of God. See, Matthew 13, 11 through 17, Jesus said it again, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. For to the one who has, more will be what? Given. You are what? Blessed. Blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears, for they hear. So this is why I'm so excited about the parables, because for, for a long time I, I would think about the parables, and I, I would just get caught up in how they, they, you know, how can they hide things? That would just, that consumed me. But one day I was reading through this, and I thought, wait a minute, Derek. Don't get caught up in that. Understand the parables are for you that there are, there are things in these parables to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. To you who has, more will be given. And so I began to dive into the parables and look at them a different way. What, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? See, see, the disciples had been given the gift of spiritual discernment by which the things of the Spirit were made clear to them. Because they accepted truth from Jesus, they were given more and more and more truth. And the same is true for you and I today if we're Christians. If you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to guide you into all truth. So the parables, as we go through them over the next few weeks and months, they, don't, they shouldn't hide anything from us if you're a Christian. In fact, we should be, it should be revealing things to us. We should be under, it should be giving to us more and more and more truth. Okay, so that's why I'm excited, and this is why I've been kind of wanting to do the parables for, for quite a while. Now, we're going to go through one today. By the way, there are about anywhere from 46 to 51 parables. People disagree. Some people, for example, will say the rich man in Lazarus is a parable. Other people say, no, it's not really a parable. We're not going to get too caught up in all of that. Uh, there's anywhere, as I said, from 46 to 51 parables. I'm going to go through them, not in any particular order, uh, I just got a list, and I'm just going to go down through the, the list. Some, some weeks we may cover one, some weeks we may cover two, other weeks we may cover three, I, I don't know. Uh, but today we're going to go through the parable of the two houses. If you got your Bible, uh, turn with me to Matthew 7, chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Um, there is a companion scripture for this parable in Luke chapter 6, so we actually find this parable in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, and we also find the parable in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we'll just, we'll just pick one of those. We'll pick Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Let's read. Jesus, of course, is talking, and he says, tells a very simple story. Everyone then who hears the, these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, but it did not fall 
because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, here in Florida, where we live, we're very familiar with storms, right? We, we get tropical storms, we get hurricanes, we get these, these fronts that move through. And so we understand the dangers of flooding, right? We understand what that can do. And especially if you're going to build along the river, if you're going to build down along the coast, you understand that you have to build a foundation to prepare for those things, right? We just, we, we get all that. Well, if you were going to build a house in Palestine 2,000 years ago, you had to think about the same kind of things. Um, you, you had to have the same kind of awareness, the same kind of planning, the same kind of preparation. Uh, you, you may look at a place in the middle of summer that's dry and think, man, that's a great place for a house. But that same place in the winter storms can become a raging torrent. So you don't just go out and plop down a house. You have to think about these things. You have to prepare just like we do today. Now, this is exactly what Jesus has in mind as he relates this story of the two houses. He pictures two men, and they both build a house. Now, one man thinks he doesn't think about the future at all. And you need to, this is really key here. One man's not thinking about the future. He's, he's not thinking about, he's not thinking about the, the next winter, much less eternity. Um, and he is called a foolish man. Now, the other man is also building a house, but he thinks about the future. He thinks about the winter storms. He's, he's thinking about what's coming down the, down the line. So he makes sure that his house is prepared. He makes sure that his foundation is solid. And Jesus calls him a wise man for doing so. Now, this is a very, very, very simple story. I mean, you tell me, even in that day, much less here, how could you not understand this story, right? It's a very simple, it's a very simple story. And yet behind this very simple story it is a very powerful commentary on people who have a head knowledge but not a heart knowledge. It, it's a very simple comparison between people who profess Christ and people who possess Christ. And I'm going I'm to talk about that here in a little bit. It's a very simple story comparing true believers to false believers. That's what this story is all about. Now, we, we, we need to first look at a little bit of context. You'll notice in, you just opened your Bible, I hope, to Matthew chapter 7. And you'll notice that this comes at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous sermon in, in history is the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus. It begins in Matthew 5, I believe, and it ends here in Matthew 7. And you'll notice this is at the very end of that chapter. So this is at the very, comes at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus has, has spent hours on this sermon. And if you go back to Matthew 5 and you read through it, and he's, taught, he's preached a long sermon. People are all listening. And at the end of that sermon, he gives an invitation. Okay, just like we do today. Jesus gives an invitation. Look at verses 13 through 14 if you've got your Bibles open. Jesus says this to the crowds, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Listen, 
If you ever have a question, are only a few being saved? What's the answer to that question? Yes. Yes. That's the answer to that question right there. Many are on the broad road. Many are headed for destruction. Only a few are being saved. But then Jesus says, you need to enter by the narrow gate. But then He says something. He says, this will not be easy to do. And He gives us two reasons why it will be hard. Why it will be hard to get off the broad road and get onto the narrow road. The first reason is false prophets. Look at verse 15. Remember, He just said, enter by the narrow gate. And it's going to be hard to find that. It's going to be hard to get on that road. And then in verse 15, He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, false prophets and false teachers, you're on this broad road, right? And you've got all these false prophets and false teachers who are saying, you're okay. You're on the right road. You don't worry about it. What you're doing is fine. You see, they will try to deceive you and delude you into believing that you're okay. That you're actually on the narrow road that you're, you're, you're on the way of truth. And it's going to make it very, very difficult for people to get off the broad road and get onto the narrow road because they got all these people saying, you're fine, you're doing good, just keep on this road, you're heading the right way. The second reason that's going to be very difficult is not only... The first reason is false prophets, false teachers, those kind of things. The second reason is false professions. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, you will not only be deceived by other people, you'll deceive yourself. Everybody see that? Not only are you going to be deceived by other people, you deceive yourself. These are people who have a verbal profession. They say they belong in the kingdom. They say they know Christ. They say they, they have a relationship with Him, but they don't. They don't. You see, in a, Kathy and I were at a funeral this past Monday for a friend of mine, a strong Christian man, and, and one of his friends got up and gave a eulogy, and he made a statement that, that just connected with me. It, the, the man that died, my friend, was named Chester, and he said this. He said, Chester didn't profess Christ. He possessed Christ. You see, folks, there's the difference right there. There's a lot of people out there professing Christ. But Jesus says, it ain't about what you say. It's about what you do with what you hear. See, Chester, this friend of mine, he possessed Christ and it changed his life. And you could see that in his works. You could see that in his life because he possessed him. It wasn't just a profession. It was he possessed Christ. And that just really connected with me. Now, it is exactly here at this point, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has given an invitation. He says, enter by the narrow gate. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get off the broad road because there are going to be men out there trying to deceive you. And oh yeah, by the way, you'll deceive yourself and tell yourself you're okay. And it's right here, right at this point in the sermon that Jesus says, let me give you an example. Let me tell you a parable that illustrates this spiritual truth. And this is where he tells the parable of the two houses, this contrast between two builders. Now let's first note the similarities between the two men. Okay, Both individuals build a house. 
In other words, they're both involved in some spiritual activity. By the way, remember the context. How do I know it's that Jesus is talking about spiritual activity? Remember the context. He just said, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And what did he say? I I never knew you. So you've got two people who are engaged in spiritual activity, two men who are both involved in something that has to do with the kingdom of God. Now, the second thing is it's apparent that they both build their house in the same location because the same storm hits both of them. This isn't different storms. This is the same storm. A storm came. Not many storms, but a storm. Maybe they're in the same church. Maybe they're in the same Bible study. Maybe they're in the same men's group or the same women's group. Maybe they both usher. Maybe they both play instruments on the stage. You see, from the outside, their house looks very similar. They're both doing the same things. But it turns out that in this parable, there is a tremendous difference between the two. And that is the foundation of their house. One has built on a rock, and one has built on sand. The part of the house, Scooter and I were talking about this, he's of course a builder, and it's the part of the house you can't see that ends up making the difference. From the outside, you can't see it. You, You can't see what's underneath all this stuff that they're doing. But it's the most important part when the storm comes. Now, before we go much further, I need to take a moment very quickly to explain something about parables. And we'll talk about this next week. Parables have a specific purpose, and that is to teach a moral or spiritual lesson. Is everybody with me? Okay? They are not allegories. Now, let me do a little English lesson here, okay? Because I had to study this myself. An allegory, when you have an allegory, virtually everything in an allegory means something. In other words, if somebody has an allegory, every little piece of an allegory, every little thing, place, and event has a symbolic meaning. For example, if you go back in the Old Testament, you read the visions of Daniel. You remember the visions of Daniel where he saw the the big statue and the feet were made of clay? Y'all remember that? Everything has a symbolism that relates to something else. In Revelation... In Revelation, pretty much every vision of John is an allegory. The symbolism means something. But that's not true about parables. The meaning of the parable is what's important, not the symbolism. That's that's critical for us to understand about parables as we go through. So when we read and study parables, we have to be very careful that you don't go too far. And we'll talk about this again, as I said, next week. For example, in the parable of the two houses... We could get all caught up in the meaning of the rock. What is the wind? What is the rain? Everybody with me? You could just go in and start picking out all this symbolism. And if you're not careful, you can read into the parable things that aren't there. That's not the purpose of parables. The the, the purpose of the parables is is the meaning of the parable. What What is the lesson the parable is trying to teach? That's what's important about a parable. And again, as I said, we'll talk about that some more next week. Let's, re- let's look at a couple things, and, and we'll, we'll see very quickly what the meaning of this parable is. Matthew 7, 24 to 27 again. Jesus said this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be, com- be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And then in verse 26, he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You see, in this parable, both men hear the Word of God. 
What sets them apart is one thing and one thing only. It's obedience to what they hear. Okay? One man obeys the word that he hears. Jesus said he's a man that builds on a rock. The other man does not obey what he hears. And Jesus said this is like a person that builds their house on the sand. In the 8th chapter of John, there's a passage of Scripture that I refer to over and over and over again because it is so significant. John 8.30 says this, Jesus is teaching. And it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, is that good? That's a good thing, isn't it? Many believed in him. They heard the words of Jesus. They, they took it in. They even accepted it. They believed it. But you see, that's not enough. Look at verse 31. Jesus immediately says to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. See, I've said this before. There's always going to be people who get caught up in emotions. There's always going to be people when you sing just as I am who will walk down an aisle. There's always going to people be people who are in the middle of a marriage falling apart and they need help and they run to the church and they run to the altar. See, they, they believe for that instance. They believe for a season. But Jesus says what? If you stay, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. You see, it isn't just the hearing and believing. It's the continuing in obedience to the word of God. See, if Jesus has truly come in and you have truly possessed Him and He has possessed you, what happens? You are a new creation. You are born again. Old things are passed away. You begin to do no, those new things. You were a slave to righteousness, a, a slave to sin. Now you are a slave to righteousness. Things change. And it doesn't, it doesn't last for six months and quit. It doesn't last for six years and quit. It goes on and on and on and on and you endure to the end. You see, in the end, it's not what you say that matters. It's what you do with what you hear. That's what ends up mattering. It is a life built on obedience to the Word of God. And by the way, folks, all the Word of God. I've said it a thousand times. I don't. What's a buffet place? Uh, Golden Corral. We all know what Golden Corral is, right? The Word of God isn't a golden corral where you go in and you go up to the line and you say, I like that, I don't like that one, I like this one, this fits my lifestyle, this is convenient. Are you with me? That's, that's not the Word of God. The Word of God, it's all. Jesus says, these are my commands, abide in my commands, abide in my Word, all my Word. You don't change it, you don't alter it, you don't ignore it because it doesn't fit your perception of who you are. You don't, you don't change it because the world says, well, that's old-fashioned. No, you go to the Word of God and you read the Word of God and you study the Word of God and you obey the Word of God, all the Word of God. That's what Christ demands of us. It is, it's living with a biblical attitude toward everything in your life. I mean everything. The way you spend your money, the, the way you speak your words, your relationships, your marriage, your business, your, your home life, everything is covered by obedience to the Word of God. It's an internal attitude that affects anything and everything that you do. James 1.22 says this, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, 
you deceive yourself. Remember what Jesus said? There's a lot of you going to be on a broad road, and you're going to think you're okay. You're deceiving yourself. You're telling yourself you're okay. But here's the test. Are you obeying my word? All of my word. You see, what James says here in James 1 is exactly what Jesus is teaching in the parable of the two houses. He says, if you only hear it and you don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. You are absolutely deceiving yourself. Now, we got just a few minutes here. We've seen the similarities between the two men. Now, let's look quickly at the differences. One man gets ready to build a house, and he says, I'm going to do it the easy way. Right? I, in other words, he comes to a, he, he, he's got a plot of ground, and he's got some sand, and down underneath that sand is a rock bed. And he looks at that and says, man, that's going to take a lot of effort to dig down through that sand. We don't have no excavators. We don't have no bulldozers. All I got is a pick and a shovel. That's too much work. I need to get this house up, and I need to get it up now. And so he decides, I'm going to do it the easy way. And the other guy comes to that, to that same plot of ground, that same area, and he says, man, if I build on that sand, the first flood that comes through here is going to wash this thing away. i, I got to get to work. And he, so he takes that shovel, and he takes that pickaxe, and he starts getting through that sand, and he gets down to the rock. And by the way, if you just set your house right on top of the rock, guess what would happen when the first wind blows? It would just blow it right out, right? I mean, it's not, you, you can't just get to the rock and say, well, I'm here. You've got to do what? You've got to get in the rock. You've got to dig into the rock. See, it's very easy to build on sand. You don't have to dig. You don't have to really do anything. It's just like choosing the broad road. You just do what comes natural. Right? It's easy. Everybody on the broad roads, it's, you, you choose the easy way. But notice the other man. In fact, look at the companion scripture in Luke 6, 47 through 48. It says this, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house. Read those three words with me. Who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. I was talking to uh, Scooter this week, and he was telling me about some pictures, and this isn't his, but I just got this off the internet. But here's an example, right? you got to dig down. you got to get into the rock. You, you, it takes effort. It takes work to, to, do, to lay a proper foundation. You don't do take the easy way out. It's hard. It takes effort to get down and put a foundation. And then you just turn right around, and, and that gets all covered up. Nobody can even see what you've done. It's the, it's the work that's done in the prayer closet. It's the work that's done at the kitchen table with the Bible open. It's the, it's the work that's done that nobody sees. That's digging into the rock. That's laying that proper foundation. You see, building a firm foundation on a rock bed takes effort to dig down deep into that rock. It's not easy. It takes a lot of labor. And it's only done by those who have a long-term view. This ain't about what makes me look good today. This is about what is Jesus going to say to me on that day. It's a long-term viewpoint that that person takes. The person who digs deep desires to enter in. They'll do whatever it takes in order to build on the rock. Listen, sure, it's way easier to go the way of the flesh. That's the easy way. Just do what comes natural. But the wise man doesn't do that. There are too many people out there today, listen to me, who profess Christ, but they don't want to hear what that demands. 
They do not want to count the cost. They don't want to learn the right way to build their life. I remember talking to Pastor Henry and Aunt Diane one day, and we were just talking about, and I, and I think they've mentioned this up here before, they were just talking about what's the, one of the most frustrating things about ministry. And one of the most frustrating things, they said, is people will come to you for help, but they don't really want to hear the answer. Does that make sense? Whether it's their marriage, whether it's their finances, whatever it is, they want help. They want the quick and easy. Push a button and make it okay. But they don't want to count the cost. They don't want to learn the right way to build on the foundation. They don't want to hear it. They really don't want that. See, they just want to go on living by their own ideas and their own goals and their own will and their own purposes. They don't want to hear about another way. They don't want to hear about a better way. And Jesus says those people are fools. That's the word that he calls them. They're fools. And for people who live this way, listen, the last part of the parable, the day of reckoning is going to come. Matthew 7, 27, Jesus said this, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus goes out of his way and says, great was the fall of it. Now remember what we said earlier. A parable is not an allegory. In an allegory, everything has a meaning. But, but a parable, it's all about the purpose of the parable, the spiritual truth that it's trying to teach. So you, I don't think you can go into this parable and say, well, the rain is this. And the, Everybody with me? Don't, you don't, don't carry parables too far. You'll end up just making stuff up. That's not the point here. The point is not, well, what is the rain? Well, what is the wind? What, what is this? That, don't, don't go down that road. You can get carried away with all of that. Listen, what the parable is saying is very simple. One day, a storm came. And after that storm passed, it became obvious which house was built on the rock and which house was built on the sand. Right? See, here's the point. There's going to come a divine accounting. It's going to come for me, and it's going to come for you. It's going to come for every one of us in this room. There is coming a time, and listen, it might be in this life. We'll see another parable later on, the parable of the seeds, where Jesus said, when tribulation arose, right, they fell away. Maybe the storm is coming in this life. Maybe, maybe it'll be like those men and women at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where they said, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, leave me, I, I don't know who you are. Maybe it's coming in this life, maybe it's coming on the day of judgment. The point is, there's coming a day of reckoning. And that day will separate the wheat from the chaff. It'll separate the true believers from the false believers. And the difference is going to be did you obey? Did you not just profess Christ, did you possess Christ? Did He change your life? God is going to bring the storm of judgment, and when He does, some are going to stand, and some are going to fall. And listen to me, the fall will be great. You understand, Jesus in this parable is talking about people who profess to be Christians, right? Right? Two men are building the house. They're, they're involved in spiritual activity. You see, if you're over 
Next week is Easter, and we'll have people who come to church once a year for Easter, don't we? Listen, can I tell you, their spiritual house is like an outhouse. Can I be honest? Are you with me? They're not doing a lot of work. It's, it's pretty small. When an outhouse falls over, what would, you, would you say it's great? It was the fall? No. We don't think much of it. See, what Jesus is talking about, men and women like you and me, who have built and built and built and built, and our spiritual edifice is big. We got a lot of days under our belt going to church and, and teaching Sunday school. When that house falls, guess what? Great is the fall of that. I do not want that to be me. I do not want that to be me. So here's the question I ask you as we close. What are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? We're all here in church, and I commend you, folks. I commend you for being here in a Bible study and wanting to grow and mature and learn more about Christ and grow in your faith. I commend you for that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you hear. What matters is what you walk out of this door and do with what you heard. That's what matters. That determines whether you're building your house on the sand or whether you're building your house on the rock. Let's pray.